Welcome back, everyone, to the Monday YouTube Slab Socks live stream. My name is Aaron, your host here at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, joined by Nate. And today we have got three very special guests joining us. Uh, Nate is not one of those. Nate's just a normal dude. So, <laughs> yep, 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 yep. But the topic for today's show is we're going to be talking about the balance of collecting and investing in the sports car marketplace and what some of these gentlemen have done to balance that because I think everyone has their different experiences. I want to bring in uh, three people who I really respect in the space and have done really great work in, in not only sports cars buying and selling, but also content and helping others. So that was where the decision came from. And I'm pretty excited to have uh, these three guests join. The first one is going to be Adam Heroes for Sale. Uh, if you don't know him by now, you've seen him on our maybe our soccer shows before. And let me welcome Adam right now. There he is. Hello. Welcome, hey, Adam. Thank you so much for joining. Um, so everyone in the chat, this is not a, like our normal shows, obviously. Normally we come and talk about, you know, markets going up, down, and you all throw in your, your questions and everything, which you can still throw in your questions. We'll still answer them. Uh, but please throw in some uh, thoughts on, on what our, our guests are saying as we go through it, and, and we'll be sure to do some audience interaction. But first, Adam, I just want to ask you, what are your thoughts on the whole collecting versus investing thing? I know years back when uh, you started to really get into it, I'm sure that there was so much more back then of like, you're either only a collector or only an investor. I think everyone's kind of a hybrid at this point, you know, because stuff gets so expensive. You, How do you not sell and stuff? But I just want to hear your thoughts on, on the current state of the market with collecting and investing and maybe what you've done to get to this point and how you made some of those decisions. Totally. So thanks for thanks for having me on. I do want to say I think Nate is special. I think I heard you say that he wasn't a special guest. I would say that he – I would argue that he is. So, uh, <laughs> Nate, I want to uh, – thank you for having me on, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. So – yeah, I mean, back going back to 2018, kind of when I started doing content, like I think the one thing was that there wasn't much information about even just mainstream cards. So like even going into 2019 and 2020, you kind of saw more information about markets that weren't like super, not, not necessarily popular, but that were not as well known. I mean, even in the end of 2020 into 2021, you saw markets like, uh, tennis, you saw like Harry Potter kind of popping up, Marvel, all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, the one thing that I think a lot of people say is like, you should invest in what you like and the same kind of with collecting. And I think it was all, it was easier back probably a couple of years ago to collect and invest in stuff that you just liked and not really take into account the the market and the people who are also interested in that type of stuff. So I think looking at it that way, that's kind of how I see the, how I balance between collecting and how I view it between that and then investing as well. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I agree with those statements um, for yourself. Have you found it difficult? Like if you buy a card, let's say that you really like to, to cut bait with it, if it goes up enough in value or to you, does everything have a price? Is there stuff you'll never sell? I mean, I guess it, it kind of depends on how much I paid for it in the first place. Like, I, I mean, there's random cards that really haven't gone up in any type of value. Like, I, I growing up, I was – so I'm originally from – well, I am from Boston, I guess. Uh, but when I was younger, I went to a Red Sox game and saw a no-hitter, and Derek Lowe was the pitcher of the no-hitter. So I bought one of his rookie cards for, like, $5. It was, like, a night 20 – no, no, sorry. It was a 1992 Bowman. And it's like, it's, it really didn't go up in value at all. So it's like, I, I think it kind of depends on uh, how much you bought it for. And then like, it, for me, I've, when I was kind of getting into it, I, I did say a lot of the time, like most of the stuff does have a price. Like if it goes to a certain amount, like 
I would sell. And I, I think overall too, like I'm looking at the market now a lot differently than I did three or four years ago. Like probably like a year or two years ago, I said that the market would be where it's at now in like a five year span. So it's kind of been the last like six months, I've sort of been reevaluating a lot of the like thoughts and opinions that I have about cards and like what's good to buy and sell just because it, the market has grown exponentially and way quicker than I even expected. Yeah. I kind of put on the fast track, right? Totally. Um, that's a, that's a good thing to bring up. I had another question here. I was going to, Oh yeah, I, I remember now. So the, the, you know, you're talking about the, the guy through the no hitter and whatnot. And to me, when you said that, you know, like $5 rookie, 1992 Bowman, whatever, um, it kind of reminds me that like, Hey, you can, like, you don't have to collect the expensive stuff too, right? Like you can be having two separate budgets. One you're putting into, you know, your investments, guys you think will progress in the future and you can sell for more money and keep your collection going. And then the other side of it's like, hey, I can go buy a Jonathan Taylor, you know, Wisconsin Badger autograph, you know, for like 30, 40 bucks. And like when I'm going and buying some soccer cards I want that I think I can sell, you know, in the future, they're much more expensive than that. Right. Um, so I think like definitely setting some some limits for yourself, maybe if you are out there and trying to decide on the collecting or investing route or both of them. Um, but I think such a big thing too is like when you are working with a smaller budget, it's a lot harder to do both because every dollar you're putting into like the collecting side, like, oh, I just want this card. You know, that's a dollar you can't put into the investing side to try to make that, you know, entire pool of money grow into the future. Um, so, Adam, when you started, did you find yourself collecting more, collecting less than you do now? Because like, you know, I don't, I, I've known you for, you know, multiple years now. So I've seen you grow in your collecting and you're investing and like, what, what was your strategy back then versus now? So I think one of the main things like with the market, whether you're investing or collecting back then, it was like everything was just not really that expensive, I guess. And I, I, one thing that I found is that I never really changed my budget, even though I have, you know, I've made a couple thousand dollars. Like last year I made however much I think I sold stuff that, I had bought the year before for like 10 X what I paid for it. So like a couple thousand dollars, but like now I'm not really necessarily buying stuff to invest in. I guess I'm more buying stuff here and there that I'm just more interested in rather than investing. Um, and I mean, that could, that could be for a couple different reasons, but like, I think that, you know, the, like you were saying, the budget is super important, but for me, like it, it never, there was one time where I tried to up my budget and I got outbid on like a $300 Luca card that I wanted to buy back in like 2019. So basically since then I've kind of looked at it and said, I'm just going to stay with, uh, within the budget that I've always had. And if this stuff, you know, if it goes up, that's great. If it doesn't, then, then so be it. But I guess also kind of the one thing is like, I'm going to do more research on stuff that I'm investing in rather than collecting. Like, just as, as an example, like I bought a couple of the Wander Franco uh, call up tops now cards and it's the tops now call up card is something that I've been kind of interested in since probably like last summer. I bought the Boba Shed. I bought um, I bought Joe Adele when he got his cards just because I like those players and I don't necessarily know if there's going to be future value, but it's something that I'm interested in. And that's why I looked at the purchase. Like I'm okay spending a similar amount to what I would be if I was investing. But if I'm investing in something, I'm definitely gonna be spending like way more time doing like way more like analytical research on kind of where I think the card can go based off of previous comps or based off of other cards or other players, kind of stuff like that. Cool. Um, a, a nice thing about your page that I really like is you, 
you do you look at everything right it's not like it's sheltered to the very and maybe that's just me talking about ourselves that we you know we do focus in on certain sets certain brands certain grades that you know do well in the marketplace because that's the easiest stuff to track but for you that isn't necessarily your page's goal isn't to drive a ton of investment engagement and discussion you do really look at like all the offerings from all the companies no matter what it is and, and i appreciate that a lot so maybe like just talk to some things like for collectors purposes that are like cool in the industry right now that we might not touch on slab stocks that you're looking at. So, I mean, I think it really comes down to like, I mean, for content wise, at least I am, it's sort of, I have a similar mantra where it's like, I'm just talking about the stuff kind of that I'm interested in. And I mean, I know stuff that you guys talk about on like uh, Slab Stocks FC and with soccer. I mean, I just have been very interested in like soccer and US soccer and following all those players. And I think, that's maybe something that I think go down the road, you know, maybe it has more value, maybe it doesn't. But I think like there's a lot of American stars right now that are either in the MLS or they're going to play overseas. And I think the, the amount of players that we're going to see in the future is going to increase. So like, I definitely follow a lot of like the American stuff. And I think like when I was looking at um, when USA played Mexico, like I knew all the players on that were in the starting lineup, which was something that three or four years ago, I definitely wouldn't have been able to say, not even just from a card perspective, but just from like a U.S. soccer perspective, because I wasn't following it as much. But when the, you know, when I first, you kind of start with one play, you start with Pulisic and then you get into like McKinney and then you get into like Gio Reyna and then at Brendan Aronson and Josh Sargent. And then it kind of just builds upon itself. So like, if you're looking to learn about different, a different sport or a different player, like don't start, like don't cast your net wide, I guess at first, but then kind of um, dial it back and see what you like and what you're interested in. And then kind of that's where you should start with your building blocks of whether you're investing or collecting from kind of, from kind of that standpoint. Yeah. Nate, I don't mean to dominate this combo. If you got a question, man, throw it in. Uh, well, I did have a question and then right out the brain. I will say, I appreciate you saying, you know, cast your net wide and then figure out what you like and narrow in on it. Because personally for me, right. I was into Bowman narrow scope. And then got into, you know, a little bit of football, a little bit of baseball, uh, flagship baseball, chrome baseball, a little bit of basketball. And now I find, you know, three, four years later, you know what I'm focused back in on and couldn't care less about anything else. I'm focusing on Bowman baseball and literally anything else. If somebody was like, hey, Nathan, here's some Prism Mega or Prism uh, Blaster Boxes, I'd, I couldn't care less. But if you were right. giving me some Bowman blaster boxes, I'd rip those in a heartbeat. And uh, I think that's a good a good thing to point out is that especially in today's market where um, you're seeing price trends steadily decrease for certain cards, it's nice to focus in on one thing and uh, really know that one thing because even if other prices are dropping, as long as you really know what you're doing in one segment of the market, you can still make money. If you cast your net wide to... Uh, soccer and football and baseball and basketball and hockey. And all of a sudden, you know, the prices are um, dropping all over the place and you can't keep track of that many guys. You're toast. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. And I, I have the same thoughts because like any specific time in my collecting or investing or whatever journey, like I've always been pretty focused on one thing. I've covered a lot of different ground in the industry and the hobby and I bought a lot of different things, but each given time it's been like, 
I'm going all in on this one thing, all in on this one thing, just because like it's too much to keep track of. Like to be completely honest, like right, even as totally. much as I, as much as I work every single day in the sports car market, it's impossible to keep track of it all. Especially like especially for personal buying too, which is even more important. I think you know not not more important. I meant like more important to the subject. You know, like obviously, like for me, it's like content's the most important thing. But it's like when it is my personal buying, then it's like I have to focus in because I, I just can't spend money on stuff I don't know what's going on in. Right, exactly. And I mean, I think uh, another thing that I feel I definitely, tr- I guess I don't necessarily try and do it, but like I think it's something that uh, I guess maybe this is a message to collectors is like just buy the stuff that you want to buy, like regardless of kind of what other people are saying about it. Because like I, I don't, I, I guess I don't purposely try and be a contrarian. And sometimes like you know that's, but I. I do find that when I'm not exactly searching for something specific, that's when I find something that's more interesting to me. Like that's how I kind of found like Fortnite cards. And that's how I like looked into like tennis and like golf kind of before those waves started to come up. Like that's how I at least was finding that type of stuff was like just, uh, or even with just doing like an eBay search, like doing an eBay search, finding your price bracket, and then looking at all the cards within that price bracket. And then from there, if you see a card that you're interested in, like maybe do a little bit more research on that one card or, you know, or if it's like you see a bunch of one sport that's kind of popping up more often, like then kind of narrow your search to that type of thing. So I just think that, you know, you should be buying the stuff that you want to buy, regardless of what people are saying about that type of thing. All right. Last thing, Adam, thank you so much for coming. But yeah, one more question. That Logan Paul, Keith Shore, Mickey Mantle card. In five years, is it hot or is it going to be used as fire starter? Hmm. Well, I definitely bought one of them. And I I bought it, I think I, when I saw, well, the print run, I think is less than 2000. So like that to me, kind of, I was surprised. I thought it was going to be a little bit more expensive. I think that if Tops had marketed it as a Logan Paul card, it, you know, obviously they probably can't do that. They're probably not allowed to, but like, it's literally just Logan Paul. Like if you, <laughs> if you remember the, the moment, like it, it's, and it's so soon after the moment too. Like, I think just based off of how many there are, I think it's, I think it's a good card. I bought one of them. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be, you know, something that's, I don't know if I look at it as like early, I don't well, Sorry. One thing. So the, the project 2020 is another perfect example of like buying just what you like because the collectors who liked the art of those few first few cards made out like bandits when the cards jumped up to like a thousand bucks. So like, I don't think it's going to be like that type of thing, but you know, I don't know if, if, it, if that becomes the first card, that's like a Logan Paul card. Like I think that could be interesting. And it's something that, you know, that's how I viewed it. And I don't know if tops was able to market it like that, but they probably could have sold a few more if somehow they had partnered with Logan Paul and then like, Hey, this is my card. Like, this is me. Oh, kind of like, cool. like, DJ, like DJ ski has done some collaborations with people. And I think if he, right. like if tops had figured out a way to do it that like if, if maybe, I don't know if it could have been like a DJ Ski, Logan Paul, Keith Shore collaboration or something like that. They probably would have broke the record for most Project 70 cards. But hey, I don't know. I mean, you know, that's just that's my two cents on the card. Got it. Yeah, no, I agree. They would have sold a ton of those. Uh, But that's going to be it for Adam from Heroes for Sale. We've got another guest coming on. So, Adam, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate and giving your perspective on collecting, investing and balancing the two, because I think it's something we all have to think about. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. See you, Adam. All right, joining the stream now, we've got Anthony from Summertime Cards. He is the host of the Courtside Card Show in Miami, Florida. I've known Anthony for a couple of years now, or at least over a year, 
And uh, the man's always impressive. I mean, for someone coming into the industry in the past two years and really learning and diving into everything and anything, um, I'm very impressed, Anthony. So thank you for joining a ton. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the kind words too. Yeah, man. So I want to bring you on because I, I think like your perspective on on how the market has changed over the past two years because you've kind of went through it all from the boom into now some suppression sense. And I like I see you collecting players, but at the same time you're investing them too, right? Like I know you got your guys like your KPJ, like your MPJ, and now I see you with you know Kenyon Martin Jr. And um, ah, there's one more new rookie that I saw you're buying. But, yeah, 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 yeah. Kyra Lewis. There we go. I, I want to hear your perspective on, on the, the difference between collecting and investing for yourself and how you've balanced over the last two years with stuff going up in value a ton and also stuff decreasing in value a lot. Like at, at what point, I guess, to yourself, are you like this collection I'm having is also an investment? <clears throat> yeah, so it's a balancing act and, and it's not easy. And like, even when you have a plan as to what you're going to do and you kind of know what you should do, it's sometimes hard to even like do the right thing. Um, like you brought up Kevin Porter Jr. Like he scored a 50 point game this year. Probably the best thing for me to have done was to sell it all like right after that and then buy, try my best to buy back as much as I can in the, in the off season. Um, but it's tough because like he is my PC and you know, you start to think like, what if he keeps playing like amazing the rest of the season? And then like, I won't be able to get it back. But um, I've kind of noticed, not with your PC guys, because your PC is your PC. You always want to have your guys you collect and you always want to have some some cards of his. But like, you kind of know, like when your guy's having a moment, um, like for instance, I think Otani right now, like I like him and I'm buying him for long term, but like, he's so freaking hot right now. Like, can he get any hotter? Like, he's just coming in. He's striking everybody out. He's hitting a home run every single game. Like, everybody's talking about uh, Otani now um, to an extent. So, like, selling him now, not the worst idea. Um, for uh, What else? Uh, so, there's also, like, certain cards that, like, I collect that, like, I don't plan on selling. It's easier when it's players who are retired. So, like, something like this that's a credentials McGuire. Like, it's not going to go up a ton in value, um, yeah. and it's going to be hard for me to replace. So something like this, I'll just hold, and it'll probably just, like, incrementally um, go up over time. And that's kind of what I try to do with the current players who are playing is just sell when they're having their moment and then, like, hold a few things. Like, this card of Ronaldo, like, if Ronaldo were to, like, start playing really well, I probably still would hold on to this because to replace this card, a red-on-red yeah. red select PSA 10, it's going to get pretty good money, but it would be very hard to replace. And it's so, so rare. There's, it's always going to remain low pop. And like, I just like the card. So there's just certain cards I'm just going to keep because I, I like them and I'm going to like the card more than I would like to take a, a profit on it. But like something like this of Kevin Porter, this is a little bit easier to grade. So I do like it, but if the values get high enough, maybe this is one when he scores 50 that I would, uh, that I would consider selling a big thing yeah. is can I replace the card if I can replace the card in the future then I'm much more apt to uh to selling it and uh he's a, a, a quick game right right and I I like that you brought up some of this stuff like you know McGuire you know you're just gonna hold on to and stuff because correct me if I'm wrong 
but you probably started looking at the sports car industry from the monetary sense to start, right? Like you noticed that it was exploding. You could probably make good money. You really knew sports so you can make the proper, you know, investments given that you learned the sets, which you did. And from there, you know, did you develop this kind of love for collecting and finding these hidden gems you can't replace? Or like at what point in the, in the road were you like, dang, uh, I actually really well, love this. Believe it or not, so from like a young, young age, I used to go to the card store as my favorite thing ever. So I've always loved them. Okay. Then my, I've been thinking about this. I keep running it back, like my whole like journey into sports cards. Well, my friend, Gio Gonzalez, made some major leagues. I collected him just to collect. I just wanted to get everything good of his. And then like um, through <laughs> collecting him, I started buying certain basketball players I liked. But after I once I started collecting him, I did notice the money in it and I started to buy certain guys thinking like, Oh, I think this guy's really good. He's too cheap. Like he's going to go up like um, Isaiah Thomas from the Kings was someone that his rookie year, which was 2011, I think yeah. I started buying. I remember thinking like I was so pissed cause he didn't have rookies in 2011 cause they skipped that year. And yeah. I'm like, dang it. This is a guy I really like. Nobody knows who he is and I can't buy cards of him. So 2012 came around. I started buying him and then I sold when he almost went MVP, but yeah, it was kind of, um, my friend making some major leagues that got me back into it. Then I started to dabble a little bit with um, Isaiah Thomas and a couple other basketball players. Then I had like a, a couple years hiatus and then Trey Young, I started buying. But my, yeah, I guess like partially it was Gio Gonzalez. Partially it was like the values with uh, like, and some of the money I made like buying Trey Young early and selling and it was like a mixture of the two, to be honest. Yeah. When Nate's like, hey, pause here. You're telling me you're friends with Brewers yeah, pitcher Gio not, Gonzalez? Not going to lie. Yeah. Um, you said friends with Gio Gonzalez. And then after that, I missed probably 90% of what you said because I was then just thinking about Gio Gonzalez when he was on the Brewers. Yeah, so good. Um, so good. But that was not something I was expecting to hear. <laughs> how how yeah. are you? Did you go to school with them or something? I went, we were um, in high school around the same time and I met him through a friend and we became good friends when he was in like ninth grade. But when he was in ninth grade, he was already like lights out in high school. Well, by like 10th, by like 10th grade, uh, second year, it was like, um, I was thinking about this last night. It was unbelievable watching this guy pitch in high school. It was like, these guys had no, like if they even got a foul and these is Miami baseball players, the top high school players in the country basically a lot of them come out of miami like the teams are really good they're always like in all these tournaments and stuff and like if they even foul tip they were like happy like one guy got like a single and like an error and he was like celebrating on on uh on first base um yeah he was uh for sure the best high school player in miami no one's come around like that he dominated in uh and he had a great uh career in the major leagues too he did he did. He, almost, he got second in Cy Young one year, only behind the the R.A. Dickey story. That's funny. Um, yeah. Here we go. I got a quick thing here from uh, the collector in the chat. Yes, I am buying numbered, colored, and on-card autos, not stickers. Anthony, talk a little bit about how your perspective on the industry and what you've been purchasing over the past like two years has changed as the industry has changed itself. Um, I'm sure you've done your fair amount of PSA grading of the base of the yes. silvers, the red, white, and blues, that type of stuff. At the same time, were you always trying to also find rare stuff and numbered stuff, or it has the last eight months really like really shaken it up for you? Um, yeah, no. So at first I definitely just came out buying the base. 
Um, it was Trey Young base was like the first thing that I that I came in buying um, with the intention of selling. And there was always stuff I liked, but I kind of like I wouldn't allow myself to buy certain things I like because a lot of stuff I like was a little bit on the pricier side. But little by little, I kept noticing that the stuff I liked and that I, I would have bought like would have been correct. And it, and it had gone up in value and I was kind of keeping mental note of this. And then, you know, you keep hearing buy what you like, buy what you like, buy what you like. And then little by little, I started doing so. So instead of buying base, I started to buy, um, oh, like I bought these and I actually sold them today. These, um, these Jay-Z cards that nobody was buying last year. These were like sitting on eBay, um, even like the base card. These were sitting on eBay. No, nobody cared for them. And I just thought it was so cool that there was a, a rapper who had his, um, like, uh, and it says, you know, these cards say rookie card on them too. Yeah, which is very unique. Um, I thought that was so cool. And there was like me and one other guy, uh, his name's 2005 Tops on Instagram. And we, we were both buying them and like we were the only ones buying them. Um, so, yeah, I ended up I just got them back from PSA recently. And I, I, I actually sold like this on um, Instagram today. I priced them pretty fair and they, and they sold. Um, so, yeah, like that's a good example of like me just buying something I liked. And, you know, you kind of think, I think people will see something they like and they don't buy it thinking like, well, no one's liking it now. Like if they don't like it now, they're never going to like it, but that, that's not necessarily true. Sometimes it takes time for things to mature and for people to take notice. And I've noticed a lot, a lot of the times eventually you do like, I'm actually curious on like these NASCAR cards too. Like there's no interest in them whatsoever, but like every single sport has like golf, everything, even F1 has gotten it's love, but I feel like NASCAR is the only major sport who has it. And I just bought this because it was just like, I figured this, there's no way that this could be like a bad buy at the levels because it's basically like free for like, you can get like a numbered Kyle Busch first prism rookie for like under a hundred dollars. Um, yeah. So that's something I like. We'll see how it works out, but, but yeah. Interesting. Nice. Um, shoot. I always have these like questions in my mind and then they have escape a question, me. Aaron. Yeah, there you go. Nate, pick me up. Perfect. So Anthony, uh, you mentioned earlier that Otani, you were like, you know, he's, he's super hyped right now. Hype is the name of the game in sports and, uh, Otani has all of it. Um, he's going to be in the home run derby. He's like one home run or two home runs off the lead for the AL. Um, he's pitching really well. And so you're like, not a bad time to sell. So how do you balance the difference between selling right now because of hype, but also, you know, there's certain guys like Flagro Jr., Otani, those types of guys that are like legitimate long-term holds. Otani, because as he, the hype might not get greater, but as he builds innings on his arm, um, as he builds stamina and can get more plate appearances, you know, I can see him being a hundred. 60 170 175 inning pitcher while also you know getting 500 plate appearances a year and all of a sudden you're looking at a 10 win above replacement player and so how do you balance between hype right now of Otani being like okay he's so hot I can get a ton of money for him and also being like we could look up in three years and in the next three years he has 30 wins above replacement yeah, so it's difficult. I, I think that the best move to do is if you like a guy to buy like a lot. So buy base, buy refractors, buy some of the, the rare stuff. It gets expensive, obviously. But if you can, that's the best thing to do. Because then when they have their moment, you can actually make a move. Whereas if you only buy one card, you kind of are stuck having to sell or hold. So I think that's a good um, 
strategy if you have the you know the finances is to kind of like buy uh, a nest egg of stuff being like okay well if he gets really hot then i'm gonna sell this stuff um i do think in general this is just my opinion the right thing to do is sell like yeah, in the long term if you sell when the guy's hot you're gonna do better than the guy who doesn't because there's the always the next guy like this like you know huge thing maybe they're there but there's also a chance he gets cold there's also a chance he gets injured there's a yeah. chance he gets traded or something like there's a, a lot of things that could that could send him back down to earth so i think in the long run the best thing to do is um is sell but i do think that people should think about especially with otani and i'm biased because i like him i feel like a guy like that it's hard to sell because he's so unique there's not there's nobody like him that we've seen right. So a guy like that could really see some asymmetrical, like parabolic gains, like more so than another guy. Because, yeah, Tatis could hit a couple home runs, but this guy could hit a couple home runs and strike out the side. You know, like what happens if Otani were to strike out the side in a World Series game and then hit a home run the next inning? Like, <laughs> like yeah, that. But it's possible. It's almost maybe like. Well, I don't know if it's possible because that would involve the Angels actually making the World Series and Mike Trout <laughs> first. That. That's um, your well, how about playoffs. There you he go. He do that. In a, he'll do that in a in a playoff game potentially. Um, you know, well, something with Otani. Just off, off note, like what percentage of people do you think have ever watched him play a whole game? Not like, a lot in America, considering he's in the considering he's in the uh, West Coast, where e Eastern Time people never watch him, and right. also uh, Central Time probably don't watch him because it's getting late. Yeah, yeah not too many. Not too many. And the values are, are where they are and the demand is where it is. So I, I kind of find that interesting that, um, yeah, a lot of people have never watched them play. Um, and I it, think that's big because once they like actually see that he pitches and hits, I think that maybe, you know, that could be good for, for his market. Anthony, I got a question for you. So, Tani, I think that there's been like double digit times that Nate and I have brought up over our three years doing slab stocks. How did you decide which car to buy for Otani? Because there's like a million. Like obviously is one of his two Bowman Chrome autos, if you have the budget, is probably the way to go as the same way with a lot of MLB players and prospects. But there are really so many rookie cards out there. How did you determine? Because I like what you said. Just because someone doesn't like something this second doesn't mean that they won't like something in the future. People never liked Bowman Chrome rookie refractor non-autos. Number out 499, No one cared. No one cared about his Photoshop's Topps Chrome card, which is now probably worth just as much as the update or way more. How did you decide what to buy? Well, a couple of things. On the, the refractor, people not caring, I do think it's important to see what's trending in other sports because there's a good chance if it's trending in another sport, it's going to start trending um, – like if something's trending in basketball, it, it could yeah. very easily sweep over to baseball. It's easy for people's brains to be like, oh, no, I actually do like that. There's no reason why I like it in this sport. I don't like it in the yeah. other um, Me figuring out which card to buy. The uh, the pitching version of the Otani is the first one that came out. Um, so yeah. that was like a big thing. Just the picture itself, like he looks, I don't know. It's like he looks, uh, the picture is like amazing of him. He looks pretty majestic. Uh, yeah, throwing, yeah throwing he looks ball. majestic in it. Yeah, that, that's yeah. the word. I couldn't come up with the correct word. He looks kind of majestic in it. And, um, yeah, Bowman Chrome autos, like, that's what everybody is chasing after. Like, to, I, I kind of try to think, like, okay, if I'm a collector or just somebody at home and I see a guy have a great game, what's the first thing they're going to search for? Bowman Chrome auto Otani, more than likely. 
And that's kind of like what I want to try to get because the thing that is the most scarce is also the thing that will probably go up the most in, uh, in value. And then just personal preference. I like to get the numbered stuff because it's harder to find. So a lot of times you could kind of name your price. Whereas with a base auto, you kind of have, you can't name your price with a base auto for the most part because there's always sales happening and, and whatnot. Whereas with the numbered, you can kind of, um, in some situations name your price because with a gold auto, you very well may be the only person selling at any given moment. Nice. How about this? Now that's obviously the top card. When you borrow Tiny, did you look at the update, look at the update Chrome, the yeah. tops Chrome normal, the top series two? Did you make mm -hmm. a call between those four or no? No, straight Bowman Chrome Auto. Okay. So you did like very I don't know that much about baseball, but I know Bowman Chrome Auto is what you want to get. You know, like what are the trouts selling for all the money? That's what's gonna sell for all the money of uh of Otani. So I didn't really like there may have been like a slightly better value with those other ones yeah but like maybe i don't know maybe taste could change maybe on those cards a little bit whereas the auto that's not going to change they're going to stay that, loving those autos that's a great point because as i tried to you know like i mentioned earlier i was like the tops chrome versus the tops chrome update like nate and i have seen over the last three years these sets about flip-flop 10 times on what people yeah. like more do they like the series two do they like the normal tops chrome the tops chrome update the tops update yeah and it's hard to figure it out, which is why I think for yourself, like you said, you know, you go after the Bowman Chrome. And I think a lot of people like yourself who would want to buy in the future would also say the same thing. Well, I know this is the best, so let me buy the best. Um, Speaking of – oh, wait. Was it Bowman Chrome or Topps Chrome? What did that kid buy the other day? What are you talking about? Oh, the Topps yeah. Chrome right out of 10? Oh, it's Topps Chrome. That's right. Okay, yeah, but it's still an insane card. T tell me anything about that. Kid messages me the other day and says, hey – uh, just wondering, wanted to know your thoughts on this card and what a fair price is. And it was a Topps Chrome Red, uh, Topps Chrome Update. I guess that might have been out five. Chrome. It, was, it was the Topps Chrome Red, number to five of wow. Otani. And he said, and I was like, well, I could not even begin to tell you how much that's worth. Uh, what was the ballpark of the offer? And he said, 700. I said, 7,000? He said, no, 700. I was like, What? <laughs> He's like, yeah, he offered me seven hundred because a green um, went for like four hundred something, four fifty or something. So we offered him the red out of five for seven hundred dollars off of a Facebook group. I'm like, you buy that instantly and you never look back. Wow, that's unbelievable. I hope it wasn't a too good to be true type of thing because Nate told me that and I was like, I don't know, like ten k, you know, like right when he sent me that to me. That was my initial reaction, and that's just. That's just it, it does seem like one of those too good to be true. So I have not circled back. I did warn him. I said, hey, be careful about Facebook. Yeah, yeah make sure you do goods and services on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goods and services for sure. But imagine if he got that. Nah, that that's, a, that's, a great, that's an unbelievable buy. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. That's, see, like in that situation, if you buy that, you can afford to hold it because you didn't have to dish out that much. And now you have like a, a staple card in your collection. Yep. So, so Larry Smith says, don't buy Mike Trout, but the only thing you can buy in baseball is Jason Dominguez. I, you know, I was thinking about that the other day. I was talking with some people about Mike Trout and like, I see his values and I think like, I don't really follow baseball that much or the, like the, the market as much, but man, his prices just seem so outrageous. Like, I feel like there's other guys that have had like similar starts to their careers and their values are like, like I think even Albert Pujols, he had like a great, great, great first 10 years to his career. 
And like now his cards are whatever, you know, and people are paying like Mike Trout, like as if he's the goat of goats and like, he has to do it again for another like six, seven, years. eight years. Right. Like, what if he just like turns average now? Like a lot of players do what happens to his card values. Yeah. They would tank. Well, the, the thing about Mike Trout is that he's a wins above replacement darling in that before he even hit the age of 29, he was already 60 wins above replacement is the threshold for a hall of famer. And he was at 71, I believe before he even hit 29. And so, um, yeah, that's what they always talk about is wins above replacement. That's what I yeah. And so if he were to, you know, the next couple of years up to 32, if he were to get to eight wins above replacement every year, um, that's an extra, you know, 24. And he is all of a sudden, almost all the way up to Albert Poole's entire career wins above replacement by the time he's 32. Um, now, the issue with Trout is that he's dealt with a bunch of injuries the last couple of years where he wasn't getting full seasons. And if he was getting full seasons, you know, he would probably be at 80 by now and surpass surpass uh, Poole's by the time he was 31. And so that's why, like, Poole's doesn't ra- stack up because – He's already almost going to be past him by the time. He's what do you What do you do about Otani with wins above replacement since he pitches? Does he get like a bunch more wins he, above replacement? Or like, yes, are he, able to qualify that? So a a um Jacob Degrom. I don't know what Jacob Degrom's at. I think Jacob Degrom's probably at like four something, five something wins above replacement on the year already, um, just because of how dominant he is, right. and. Uh, he will get, you know, if 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 Otani is 175 innings and three five ERA, that's probably good for like four wins above replacement. And then if he gets 500 plate appearances and hits 280 um, with a 550 slugging and a 360 on base and with 20 stolen bases, um, you know that also is probably worth like four to five Would wins above replacement. High? And Can all of a sudden you're looking at what? Would that be the highest MLB if you combine them? Well, you know, you're probably looking at nine, ten wins above replacement, which, given the year, would be the highest, depending on who else is playing. You know, sometimes um, certain guys – I mean, Jacob DeGrom's going to be absurd this year. If Jacob DeGrom keeps this up, he's going to be, you know, 10-plus wins above replacement likely. Um, same with wow. Vlad Guerrero Jr., who's unbelievable, but Vlad's probably going to top out at, like, eight, maybe because his defense just isn't – just doesn't – add anything on defense. Now, if Otani, the way Otani could really explode is if instead of DHing, they put him into the outfield and let him track down some fly balls. All of a sudden he gets a value, a defensive value boost in the equation and takes off. I'm surprised that a guy who hits and pitches the, their, their wins above the placement wouldn't be much, much higher. Like you're saying that there's a chance that he can basically be close to to Vladimir, even though he does both, I, I wouldn't have thought that to be the, the, the well. Well, the the I mean, he is he is I believe he is bl- above Vlad right now. The issue is how how much he can get because like if he's only pitching 120 innings, you know it's nice, yeah. but you're just um you have to be you have to be downright like unhittable in 120 innings to get the same amount of wins above replacement as somebody who throws like a. 3-2 ERA through 220 innings, right? Yeah, I think he doesn't throw a lot of innings. I hear it. And also, can, Nate, you can get a ton of wins above replacement for defense, too, like Trout. You know, like, 
that's how he gets over 10, right? Is like through adding all that defensive value to Correct. And on the bases and all that stuff. And yeah. wins above replacement is a flaky, a flaky stat, anyways. But uh people love it. And I think the reason you know people love Trout is because they can look at that one flashy number and they can say, Wow, Mike Trout, already a Hall of Famer by the age of 28. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it's legitimate. All right, question for the two of you. Would you rather open 2016 Bowman Hobby or 2018 updates? So 2018 updates got the Cunha and the Soto, obviously, Otani, Glaber Torres. 2016 Bowman Hobby, I don't know if he meant Bowman Chrome because Bowman Hobby I don't think is that great. Bowman Chrome is the one with Soto, Vlad, and Tatis, which is the best Bowman set of all time probably, or one of the best Bowman sets of all time. If you could rip through a case of something, what would you rip through? And uh, I think I know Nate's answer, but maybe Anthony's too. You said you said 2016 had what? Because I'm not familiar with the product. So hey, 2016 Bowman Chrome. They came with like four or five packs per mini box. Had Tatis's first Bowman Chrome Auto, Soto's first Bowman Chrome Auto, and Vlad's first Bowman Chrome Auto, all in the same set. Okay. Yeah, and I, would, I would do the 2016. <laughs> yes. I feel like the older the box, the more expensive it is. Yeah, and the thing with update is like a year ago that when you could prospect that your base PSA 10 Acuna would be $300, you know, and you pull 12 to, you know, 10 to 12 out of a case. And then you have the parallels on top of that and all the other rookies that makes a lot more sense than now when you physically can't grade the card. And then when you do, it's not going to be enough to carry the value. Like I would open 2016 Bowman Chrome all day. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it's unlikely you hit one of their autos, but oh yeah. Uh, full it's more unlikely that you hit a color gold, a, a good in shape gold of a Soto or a Acuna either. So yeah, and Gliber Torres, you know how I have disliked Gliber Torres in the past. Thought he was yeah. overrated. Yeah, Did you know he has like six home runs in the past two years. What? That's terrible. So horrible. Gliber, atrocious. And I kind of love to see it. Anthony, That's, somebody so, asked a question. I just wanted to say. Uh, oh, so go ahead. Diana Tarasi. I don't know about WNBA cards, but I do think Tarasi – I wagered a, a good amount of the WNBA. I think Tarasi is the best WNBA player ever. I don't know the stats and everything says it, but from just my eye test and watching the girls play, she's to me seems like the, the best player um, ever for girls. She just, she just passed the 9,000-point mark too. First WNBA yeah. player ever. No, she's ridiculous. And like every game too. The thing about her, like she played she, – she plays hard every single game. Um, all she needs is like a slight deficit early and she gets pissed and she starts going all out. <laughs> um, quick before, before we move on, I'm, we have another guest, Aaron. Well, I thought we might not anymore. I thought okay. we were going to, but we might um, and massive said war is the most overrated stat ever. I partially, I, I do partially agree with that. Uh, what I don't agree with is Trout can't even bring his team to a playoff win. Um, baseball is not a one guy game. Right. It's not football where you have a good quarterback and you can, you know, get to nine and seven and make the playoffs. It's not basketball where you can have a one player team as long as they have what it takes. You know, shout out Carl Anthony Towns does not. Um, and you can make the playoffs. Even in a loaded conference, you can still make an eighth seed if you are really good. Um, but in baseball, you've got 25 guys, you only get so many chances to hit. There's, there's, you know, 700, 600 plate appearances a spot. You get one spot. You get six, you get one ninth of the plate appearances in a year, minus whatever injuries and games you sit out. One ninth of all plate appearances for your entire team. 
And then you also only get so many chances on the defense. And um, it's just one of those things where one player, no matter how good you are, no matter if you are Mike Trout, one yeah. player cannot lead his team to the playoffs. You need other guys. And the Angels have failed him miserably, whether it's because they signed the wrong guys, Justin Upton, Josh Hamilton, Albert Pools, and just somehow managed to keep signing the wrong guys to big contracts. And they all have just failed miserably and spectacularly. Whether it's their young guys um, got injured, like uh, uh, Garrett uh, Garrett Richards, guys like that, young pitchers getting injured, um, or even like prospects that come up and just aren't ready. In like Joe Adele, the Angels have managed to fail in a myriad of ways. The one way place they didn't fail was Mike Trout, and so it's unfair, wildly unfair, to put all of the chain angel shortcomings on Mike Trout's shoulders. If Mike Trout was on the Dodgers, he would have won a world series and he would, everyone would think he was the greatest thing in the entire world. But instead he's on the angels, a significantly worse run team. And now it's Mike Trout's not that good because he can't lead his team to the playoffs. When in fact, he has to lean on 24 other players that are not nearly as good as most other teams, 24 players. Yeah. And baseball, just in general, right? Like there's, one player has the least impact of, of any other sport. Like in, in basketball, if you have the best player in the league, you're pretty much going to always get close to the end. In football, if you have the best quarterback, you're going to get, you know, to the Super Bowl pretty often. But in baseball, it just doesn't work that way. You know, one player just doesn't have that great. I mean, you're talking the best hitter, right, is like, what, 350? And then like an average hitter is it, – it's just not a big difference in, in like how many more hits they're going to get. It wins above replacement. You said that the most is 10 in the whole season. So in 162 well, games. Well, like generally, there have been guys that have gotten more than 10 wins above replacement on a season. But I'm saying like we're yeah, hovering like around strong, 10. Like a strong thing, you know, like yeah. and it's not that big a, uh, a a difference. Like LeBron's win above replacement if they put him just with some random guy is like massive, you know. Yep. Uh, same thing with like Mahomes. Like if you take Mahomes out and you put just a random quarterback – like they're not even going to make the playoffs, but with Mahomes, they're the the easy favorite to win the Super Bowl every year. So, it just yeah, people are definitely probably too hard on Trout when and, it comes. And to you might you might stuff. see that example this year with the Packers because the Packers go thirteen and three, go to the NFC Championship game. If Rodgers doesn't play, and it is Jordan Love or Blake Bortles, um, you're going to see how much one quarterback matters to a team. We saw with the Patriots and the Bucks. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I got oh, I love Jameis, so. Huh? I said I love Jameis, so I can't. Uh, I won't. I won't diss him for the sake of Tom Brady. <laughs> Someone said uh, trash Trout's batting. I mean, point zero seven zero is pretty bad in the playoffs too. He's he's like, had one. He's had one playoff series. It well, doesn't. It was just one, how many games? Just like I think it was just one. Oh I just, could, uh, no, no, it couldn't have been one. Three. It must have been three. Yeah. I can't remember anymore. Yeah, it was a while ago. Uh, Anthony, really quick to steer the conversation towards the NBA. Who, whose legacy can be most affected by this NBA Finals when we look back 10 years from now and one of these players has one championship? It's either this player has one or this player has none, and it's Devin Booker or Giannis. Whose legacy could be most impacted in the positive light? In the positive light? Yeah. Um, in the positive light. And we can do negative also. Well, whichever one is – yeah, uh, let me think. That's like a – yeah, there, there's many there's many facets to that be, question. Be, and uh, I, I asked this because, like, 
in the market today, so many people are like, oh, this guy wins a championship and p- potentially his cards will go up in value. But in my opinion, you know, you I, I'll, I'll go. OK, I'll go Giannis because I think that his I think that Booker has a little bit more help in Phoenix. Like he's playing like with a first battle of Hall of Famer with Chris Paul. Like DeAndre Aiden's playing amazing. They have a really nice like set of role players like with campaign and bridges, and they got Crowder who's going to be big if they do get to the finals because he can kind of cover Giannis. I think Giannis has Middleton. Drew Holiday is kind of iffy. It would be very impressive if Giannis like pulled out the the title this year, mm. and like given that he already um, won two MVPs, he needs that title. Whereas like Booker can get like a big bump from just winning one MVP like next year or something. Yeah. Um, but I would say, uh, yeah, it would be most um, positive for uh, Giannis. But it's not entirely bad if Giannis makes it to the finals and loses because that's still like a big step getting to the finals. Yeah. Um, you know, it took LeBron 2003. He wanted to. He took him eight years to uh, win the title. It took him eight years and basically joining a super team to to win the title. So if Giannis gets all the way down there and gets very close. At this juncture with that team, it's it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, us as Bucks fans, we sure hope that we win. Um, but the the reason why I ask is, is I think a lot of people that take such a short term look on the on the industry, like for these certain big moments in players' careers, like even for the Champions League with soccer with Chelsea, I'm like, you know, five years from now when people are looking back and they're deciding who they're going to buy, Mason Mount, Christian Pulisic, all those guys are going to have Champions League winner on their resume. Same thing yep. can happen here with Giannis, to where like. Yeah, maybe like the market's a little suppressed right now, so there won't be that much movement in his cards if he wins. But five years from now, when people look back and say, wow, he did win two MVPs, he did win, win a title by the time he was – he's still 26 right now, I think. Like that's impressive stuff, and I think that that, that matters a lot more long-term than the short-term. I do you think the one thing the market is a little like cold on Giannis is I don't think they um, – like I think his personality, I don't know that people really um, – I think that his personality a little bit hurts um, his collectability to an extent. You think? Yeah, something about him I don't I can't pinpoint it exactly, but I think something about his personality that the hobby is like a little bit like they definitely cozy up so much more to Luca who hasn't won two two titles. Um, even like a Zion, I feel like even him like they kind of um, a little bit more bullish on him. I don't know. I don't see that many Giannis. Uh, collectors even though he had won two mvps and during a lot of seasons he definitely looks like the uh, i think that a big another thing is the shooting aspect people are like oh yeah. this guy can shoot i don't want to collect the guy but who can't shoot the ball but right. still 30 points you're getting 30 points 30 points is 30 points whether you can shoot or not it's 30 mm-hmm. points people still collected Shaq, even though he didn't uh you know wasn't a great free throw shooter um I do think Giannis needs to embrace his strengths a little bit more and stop trying to be something that he's not. I think that he needs to come to realization like he probably he will never play like Kevin Durant and there's yeah. no need trying to like embrace your strength, play the way you're going to play. You know, I don't think you're ever going to see Zion trying to do like fade away craziness, you know. Um, but I think Giannis is still kind of battling like with that, trying to figure out like maybe I can do that and then I can kind of elevate my game on another level. But I don't know. Maybe he can, but I don't. I think he just needs to embrace his strengths and kind of like play around those rather than trying to like, you know, you see him just sometimes do some things like, what do you, like, you shouldn't even be attempting that. Yeah. 
And I think something like that just takes time for NBA players who like don't have any of that at all in their game to develop that. And I don't think that the time to try to prove that you've developed that is in the playoffs when you could probably go for 40 every game if you just stop shooting threes or anything, you know, like taking those yeah. possessions and go at the hoop instead. Yeah, you see him like back up and like go like isolation. And you're just like, this is not a high point to possession play that's about to take place. Yeah. Like somebody else needs to be doing that, not not him in that situation. You know, if he if he doesn't have what you know, if he doesn't have the look that he that he wants, he should just pass. But sometimes he tries to to force it and, and make a play that he's not really good at. This is interesting. So Magic here uh, is from Hawaii, and he agrees with Anthony about Giannis's personality. Anthony's from Miami, and we're from Milwaukee. As a personal Milwaukee Bucks man, I love Giannis's personality. I think he's like the most humble like dude I've ever seen on on TV. Who's a superstar? Like you know, he came from nothing in Greece, and now he's got it all in Milwaukee. And and I I love the guy's personality, but it's interesting hearing other people's perspectives on it. Maybe I don't know. You know what it is that people might not like? Maybe it's a, yeah. he, I don't he, mean that he's like a villain or like a bad guy, but I just feel that he's not uh, like I don't know. Maybe it's like he lacks a little bit of charisma. I'm not quite sure exactly um, how to pinpoint it, but just something about it that I feel like doesn't make him as collectible as uh, other guys. Yeah, I feel. I, feel, I mean, I, I don't agree, but that's just. I'm also super Milwaukee biased, obviously. So, like, I, I personally don't like Jimmy Butler's personality, but I think a lot of people oh, yeah. draw them. Oh, I love Jimmy Butler. Oh, yeah, but I can see both sides of that because he's kind of like, yeah, I understand the people who do and, and don't like uh, um, Jimmy Butler. I, I like it because I want a, a hard nosed um, guy like that. But yeah. I get people who, who don't like the way that he is. Yeah, I, I think it just annoys me because sometimes I. I hear him talk and then I watch him play and sometimes it doesn't line up, but sometimes it does obviously. And we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I, I have grown to dislike the heat a lot more through getting beat in last year in the playoffs than I normally would. So I think that probably also has something to do with it. But Giannis also is still very young. He came into the NBA at a young age. He's starting to be the leader now. Guys don't really peak in terms of leadership at, at his age. So, you know, I'm sure he'll mature. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe become more likable and more collectible. Um, sure. In, in that, in, in that, in that, I think it, it is a huge, huge, huge adjustment for someone like him that came from Greece, from very humble beginnings, coming to the U.S. Like that's a massive uh, adjustment period. You know. Um, so totally. yeah, we'll see down the line. I just think like now that's kind of like um, where people are at uh, a little bit to an extent. Sure. Uh, okay, last thing here, Anthony, and then we'll shut today's live stream down. But one one thing that you have is maybe a piece of advice for people who are looking to, you know, buy and sell in the sports car market for the next year. What's something that you would recommend them maybe research or do because of how different the market is now compared to eight months ago? Um, yeah, I know it's a super loaded well, question, by the way. Yeah, yeah, just I would say um, definitely like – like, buy what no one else is buying. So like right now you don't see anybody buying Zion for instance, like very few people that are really buying him that like his stuff is low. Definitely don't buy what everyone's, whatever you see everybody posting, do not buy that. Like um, buy LeBron right now, like buy guys that people are, are, are not necessarily, like buy, go and like search out like some nice Kevin Durant cards now that he just lost um, because you, People are just not like desperately trying to buy Kevin Durant off that loss or like a Kyrie Irving or even a James Harden. 
like you could potentially find some really good deals. Um, also, like make sure you're exploring all avenues to buy. So like even golden auction has like low end cards that go really, really cheap. And even like high end cards that go really, really cheap. Somebody, a friend of mine told me he got like a $200 super fractor second year Miguel Cabrera because it was on the second day of golden auction uh, on the, the Sunday auction. So there's a lot of opportunities there as well as on like Facebook marketplace, like make sure you're exploring all the avenues to buy because there's really good deals in, uh, in different places and, um, just be patient, uh, buy in the off season and don't buy when a guy is hot as can be, because if he's hot as can be by default, that means he's at some point, he's not going to be in the prices will be, um, much less, unless it's like a one of one or something like that, that you're not going to be able to get good thoughts. Nate, anything else before we uh, end today's live? Um, yeah, I got a couple things. Not necessarily for Anthony, though. Okay. Should I still say him? Sure. Okay. Number yeah. one, I feel like Larry Smith is trying to be like a, a PFT, where PFT always tweets out and has like misspelled stuff. Um, but he's way less intelligent about it. So, Larry, maybe find a new uh, find a new gig. Um, and then two. And Massive says the Angels signed Pools, spent a ton on in free agency on guys like Rendon and Hamilton. At some point, he has to receive some blame. Only started to ever be this far in his career with no playoff wins. So I was going to ignore it, but I, I just, I just can't. I just can't ignore it. Um, you kind of proved my point by bringing up Pujols, Rendon, and Hamilton. So let me run through some stats for you guys. Oh boy, Rendon, twenty-five games missed this year, out of. Uh, the their 77 they've played, and he's hitting 228, 306, 355 on the season. So, yes, they spent over 20 million on Rendon, over 30 million on Rendon, and yet he's missing games and ha- is not good this year. That is not Trout's fault. Pujols, thank you for bringing him up in St. Louis 11 years. He had a thousand and thirty seven OPS in 10 years in LA, he had a 758 OPS. So all of that money they paid him, they could have gotten better production from just going year by year and grabbing Eric Thames and uh, Russell Brannion type guys and putting them in at first base. And they would have probably gotten similar, if not better production from first base than tying up 30 plus million into Albert Pools. So just because they spent money on guys like that, Albert Pools was atrocious. Uh, compared to his 758 OPS is not bad if you are like Malik Smith, right? That's solid. If you are Albert Pools, you need, and that money spent, you need a 900-plus OPS, which they almost never got. In fact, they never got a 900-plus OPS from Albert Pools any of the years. His top OPS was 859. Every other year was in the 700s or below. Um, So that right there is... 30 plus million plus 30 plus million for Rendon, 60 something million tied up to two guys who are not performing well. Then you bring up Josh Hamilton. Josh Hamilton owed 20 plus million a year on his contract. And he, let me, let me find it here. I scrolled too far. He had a 741 OPS in two years with the angels compared to a 901 OPS in six years with Texas. And then you'll remember that they released him. So they ate all that money to not have him play on his team, and he ran a 741 OPS when he was a 900 OPS guy in Texas. Again, 
No way you can blame that on Mike Trout. And then lastly, because we're taking all the 20 plus million dollar guys, we've got Justin Upton, who is running a. Uh, where is it? Oh, one too low. Who is running a 789 OPS in five years with LA? Whereas if you compare that to his beginning years in Arizona, he had an 832, and for a uh, career, he has a like 825. No, 820. Career 820 OPS in LA for five years. He has a 789, and not only that, but in six years in Arizona, he played 731 games. In five years in LA, he's played 340. Some of that is because of last year missing 100 games of the season, but he's pro- likely not to play all those. So add on 80, and he's at 420 compared to six years at 731. You know, he's missing a ton of games. So to bring up that they signed guys and that because they spent money, it's now Mike Trout's fault is ridiculous because every guy they signed either got injured and worse or just played and was still significantly worse to the point where they'd rather have paid Josh Hamilton to not play for them than pay for them. That is every single year Mike Trout's been there. They've had like $60 million tied up in guys that have been useless. Tell me a team that can, that can handle that outside of the Dodgers. It's not Trout's fault. I guess that we're ending today's live stream on a rant from Nate. Yep. I guess if anything, not Trout's fault. Not yeah, Trout's fault. I was going to say, that, to sum all that up, not Trout's fault. So don't not buy Mike Trout because you think that he's keeping the team, holding them back, I suppose. Right. <laughs> all right, Anthony, thank you so much for joining. And thank you so much, everyone, for watching today's live stream. I hope you all like the different perspectives we brought in. And I will see you all in the next live stream next week. Nate, thanks for joining. And Anthony, go follow him at Summertime Cards on Instagram. Thanks, see you guys. Guys.